Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. My name is Indy Randawa, but not with me today is my co-host, Samantha Hees. We're doing something a little bit different today, and Samantha will be joining me a little bit later. But first, I'm going to be talking to you all about my top 50 baseball movies. Yep, that's five zero baseball movies. For some reason, during this quarantine, when I wasn't at work, I decided that I would watch every baseball movie I could find, and I'm here today to tell you all about them. We're going to start at number 50, and we'll get down to number one. Uh, yeah, that sounds pretty terrible when I say it out loud, but hey, maybe you'll find some great things, because a lot of these movies might stray away from what you think of a typical sports movie, and I think there's some really good picks in there. On average, I think baseball probably has the best movies of any sport. I think boxing probably has the best movies, but there's so many baseball ones that your average is usually pretty good. There's a few themes you're going to find that run through a bunch of these. There's a lot of childhood wish fulfillment. You have a lot of grown men using sports as a way to communicate with their fathers. You have a lot of stories of a phenom, someone who is unnaturally good at baseball, usually a pitcher, and then they can kind of transcend the game. But it's not limited to that. We have some tales of immigrants. We have some musicals, some thrillers. It's a little bit all over the place, but I'm not going to talk about it anymore. We're going to get started at number 50. Once we get to number one, Samantha will be here. And that will be the movie that we're going to be talking about in detail next week. So let's start at number 50, and that is Fever Pitch from 2005. Now, this terrible, terrible movie stars Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. I personally never got the appeal of Jimmy Fallon. I don't know why people think he's charming. He's quite annoying. And this movie, it kind of like borders on a spoof almost. If they went a little bit further, I would think they're making fun of the genre of romantic comedy, but it isn't. It just is a bad movie. It's just full of men with arrested development who need to be rescued by women. And it's not a commentary on that. It's just saying that's what men are and women are the only thing that can save them. And it's really cringeworthy in a lot of different ways, but let's move on to number 49, and that is a movie called Twelve. Twelve is a new movie. It's from 2019, and it's a low-budget movie, definitely. But it actually looks okay. It seems like they had decent equipment that they were working with. But it's one of those very typical stories about a baseball player who is just better than everyone. Although in this one, it's a child. So it's a child playing through Little League, and they're better than everyone, and there's not really any conflict. They practice hard, and they become the best baseball player ever. The end. It's quite bad. There's not much going on as far as acting or story. It's mostly just watching children do baseball drills. So if you need some practice drills to do, you can check out the movie 12. The 48th best baseball movie is called Trouble with the Curve. Now this is a movie from 2012, and it stars Clint Eastwood, Amy Adams, and Justin Timberlake. And you'd think, that's a decent cast, maybe this movie's alright. But it's really not. It's kind of just what happens to Clint Eastwood's career, that he used to kind of be this 
outsider, outlaw type figure, and now he's just a grumpy old man. It just really has simplistic and stereotypical takes on father-daughter relationships. Baseball itself, it's a pretty terrible movie. I don't know how this got made and how it actually was somewhat successful, but yeah, don't watch it. Terrible movie. Trouble with the curve. Number 47 is Summer Catch. Now this is, I guess, a romantic comedy? It's not very romantic nor funny though. It stars Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jessica Biel. Also, there's Matthew Lillard, the guy who played Buffy's boyfriend or the army guy for a while. I don't know that actor's name. Mark Blukas or something like that? But either way, this movie is, oh, it's brutal. It's uh, gross, it's crass, it's very homophobic, it's very cruel, specifically to fat women? Amazingly so? Like, there's a lot of bad movies that make fun of people's weight as a butt of jokes, but this one just takes it so far that you feel like the writer's family was killed by a larger woman or something, but it's it's brutal. Don't watch Summer Catch. Number 46 is Ed. We've gotten this far, and finally, we can talk about a movie where a monkey plays baseball. And even for a monkey playing baseball movie that stars Matt LeBlanc, it's even worse than you'd imagine. Like, sometimes they try to go cartoony, like there's one scene where a guy has dollar signs in his eyes, like cartoon dollar signs appear on him, but then that never happens again. And you could have fun with a movie about a baseball playing monkey. It's silly, it can be fun, it could be a good kids movie, but it is none of those things. It's inconsistent, and why would you have your main character hate the monkey for most of the movie? Just have fun with it. But Ed was number 46. Number 45 is The Scout. The Scout stars Brendan Fraser as a baseball player named Steve Nebraska. It's pretty offensive in a lot of different ways. So they find him in Mexico, and there's like literal donkeys just on the field. And Steve Nebraska, Brendan Fraser, is worshipped as a literal god to everyone. They carry him out to play baseball games, and they all kind of bow down to him. It's the white savior thing, but made incredibly literal. It's weird and bad. Number 44 is Mr. Destiny. This is kind of a take on uh, It's a Wonderful Life type thing. It's a man who struck out in a baseball game as a child, and now he gets to relive his life as if he had hit that pitch that one day. And of course, his life is infinitely better, but there's a downside. And although that story works so well with a charming guy like Jimmy Stewart, Mr. Destiny stars Jim Belushi, who I don't know how this guy consistently gets work, but he does. And it's pretty terrible because at the best of times, you just have to watch Jim Belushi on screen and nobody wants to do that. Number 43 is The Sandlot Part 2. You'll hear The Sandlot Part 1 later on, but this one is very bad. It kind of recreates a lot of what Sandlot 1 did but does a very bad job of it. One little funny thing is at the end of the movie, they kind of have that postscript of what happens to all these kids when they grow up. And apparently one of them was just abducted by aliens and never seen again. So in the Sandlot world, aliens exist. Number 42 is Little Big League. Now this was a part of all those 90s movies that had kind of like fun, weird takes on baseball movies like Angels in the Outfield rookie of the year and it had a lot of kids 
being in the major leagues. In this one, a child inherits a baseball team and makes himself the manager. You'd think it would be fun? It's not really. Number 41 is The Benchwarmers. This stars Rob Schneider and David Spade and that guy who's Napoleon Dynamite. What's his name? You know the guy. Also, John Lovitz is in it. John Lovitz, I think, is in about 10 of the movies I'm going to talk about today. Um, it's everything you'd expect from a Rob Schneider, David Spade movie. I'm realizing I'm only through 10 of these, so I'd better pick it up. Number 40 is The Sandlot 3. It's kind of a time travel thing. I don't know why it has to do with The Sandlot. Luke Perry is the greatest baseball player of all time, but then he gets to travel back in time with all of his current memories and kind of be a kid again and right some wrongs, things like that. Not very good. Pretty forgettable. Number 39 is called For Love of the Game. This is one of the three Kevin Costner movies we're going to talk about, and it has a really good structure. I like the idea of this movie. It's a aging baseball player played by Kevin Costner, and he's in the middle of pitching possibly a perfect game. And this is intercut with a love story that started earlier in his career, and we get to see how that has gone throughout the years until we're at the point we are now. Good idea, and I like that idea a lot, but it's a pretty bad movie. It seems like it's a movie that was written by a man who's never actually met a woman, perhaps? Number 38 is Take Me Out to the Ball Game from 1949. Now this is a comedic romantic musical, and it stars Gene Kelly, Frank Sinatra, Esther Williams, and was directed by Busby Berkeley, but I think... Gene Kelly kind of took things over, as he often does. And it's not terrible, but it just seems so very phoned in. And if you want a good musical, there's so many better Gene Kelly musicals out there. So go watch one of them instead. Number 37 is Mr. Baseball. This is a Tom Selleck movie. He's kind of a washed-up veteran baseball player. And then gets traded to Japan, which I don't know if you can trade players between leagues like that, but either way, he gets traded to Japan, and it's just a bunch of culture shock jokes like, oh, Japan, it's crazy, huh? He's an old school American. How will he work? It kind of hits all the notes you would imagine it would. Number 36 is a movie sometimes called Bottom of the Ninth and sometimes called Stano, depending on where you see it. In this movie, there's a young prospect baseball player and he accidentally kills someone, and he gets 17 years in prison. Then when he gets out, he remarkably is just as good, and he's trying to make it back into the major leagues. It's trying to be like kind of a gritty, handheld type thing. It's ultimately pretty bad and poorly acted, and the idea of someone never playing baseball for 17 years and then being able to make it to the majors in a couple of months seems a little bit silly. Number 35 is It Happens Every Spring from 1949. A lot of baseball movies in 1949. In this one, there is a college professor and he invents a kind of chemical that repels wood. So then he coats baseballs in it and becomes the best pitcher in the world because you'd think that would make the bat hit the ball harder and go further, but... In fact, it does the opposite, so whenever someone swings at the ball, his ball is able to kind of dip and duck away from the bat, and he's able to strike everyone out. 
So this college professor goes on to, of course, win the World Series or something like that. When you watch 50 baseball movies in a couple of months, they all do start blending together, especially a lot of the not-so-great ones. Number 34 is Cobb. Cobb is a biopic about the baseball player Ty Cobb, who's one of the greatest baseball players of all time, also one of the biggest assholes in the history of sports, uh, noted racist, he murdered someone, like literally murdered someone before, but it was just all okay because he was good at baseball. He's played by Tommy Lee Jones, and I think the performance is actually pretty solid and it's a worthwhile watch. Is it a good movie? Not really. It's not like they gloss over the terrible things that Cobb did, it's just they show it to you, but the way the movie presents it is like, oh yeah, he killed someone, no big deal. Number 33 is Major League Part 3. We'll talk about the other two Major Leagues, which are much better, but Major League Part 3 loses most of the cast, like Behringer and Charlie Sheen. Instead, it's Scott Bakula, and it's in the Minor Leagues. You get to see a few of the characters from the other Major League movies, so that's probably the best part. All in all, it's a pretty mediocre movie. Not terrible, but nothing makes it really stand out. It's uh, quite a forgettable movie. Number 32 is Hardball, starring Keanu Reeves. Now, I actually like Keanu Reeves. He may not be the best actor out there, but I think he chooses his roles that in a way that really suits what he brings to the table. And also, he's just like such a good guy. I love Keanu Reeves, and I know Samantha does as well, but he is pretty bad in this. The movie itself is quite bad as well. He's kind of a down-on-his-luck guy with a gambling problem, and because he loses a bunch of money, he has to then coach an inner-city baseball team? That sounds made up, but I'm pretty sure that's actually what happens. It's pretty offensive in a few different ways, and it's just another one of those white savior movies. In this case, again, quite literally. He's saving them. Some of the kids are just getting shot on the street because that's how they depict all the black neighborhoods in this movie. Pretty forgettable. Some little funny parts, though. Like, the kids are pretty charming a lot of the time. Number 31 is Mr. 3000. This is a Bernie Mac picture, R.I.P., and he plays a baseball player who's very arrogant, but one of the best players of all time. Kind of looks like it's loosely based on Barry Bonds. And after retiring, he learns that a couple of his statistics were a little bit off, and he actually doesn't have the 3,000 hits that he thought he did. And he'd kind of made his life based on this. He calls himself Mr. 3000, has all these restaurants and stuff. So he has to go back to the major leagues to get three more hits. It's a pretty decent premise, like, contrived for sure, but a lot of fun. So of course he goes back, learns the error of his ways, and tries to help out all these young players coming up. Number 30 is called Everybody Wants Some, or I should say Everybody Wants Some, because it has two exclamation points in it. This is a Richard Linklater movie, so I had pretty high expectations because I'm a fan of a lot of his stuff. There are definitely funny bits, but it's mostly just douchebags being douchebags. It's about a college baseball team, and it all takes place, I think, within two days before the first day of school. So it's a lot of, like, bro stuff, but it does have some nice little Linklater nostalgic coming-of-age moments every now and then. Number 29 is The Jackie Robinson Story. Now, if somehow you're not familiar with who Jackie Robinson is, there's a lot of movies about him that you should definitely check out. 
He was a black player, the first black player to be in the major leagues, and he shattered the color barrier. The best thing about this movie is that Jackie Robinson himself is in it. He plays himself, which is very cool to see because, because he's a player that played before our lifetimes, well most of us, I don't know how old some of you are out there, but it was really cool to be able to see him on screen. The worst thing about this movie though is it's a very neutered and sanitized version of the story. So as you could imagine, the first black baseball player had a lot of obstacles to overcome and a lot of pushback. And in this movie, all the white people are just pretty nice to them. They're like, well, we didn't want you here at first, but yeah, it's okay because you can play ball. That wasn't the case. So we're going to talk about some better Jackie Robinson biopics later, but it's worth checking out a little bit at least just so you can actually see Jackie Robinson on screen. Number 28 on my list of top 50 baseball movies is The Broken Hearts Club, a romantic comedy. And that's not me saying it's a romantic comedy, that's part of the title. I'm not sure why they needed to specify that on all the posters and DVDs, but there you go. This is an interesting one, and I don't know how I had never heard of it, because it stars Timothy Oliphant, Ben Weber, Zach Braff, Dean Cain, Nia Long, Justin Thoreau. So it's a pretty big cast, and it's less of a baseball movie and more a movie about a group of friends. So they're all gay men in Los Angeles, and they have this kind of toxic friendship between this group, but they all play on the same baseball team, or sometimes they play, some of them just watch. And although it's not a good movie, it's definitely worthwhile to check out. They address some things that you don't get to see in a lot of mainstream movies, and the group of people in it and how they're portrayed are not people you'd often see in a lot of movies. In fact, there's a scene where they talk about how there's never going to be a movie about people like them, which was maybe a little heavy-handed, but it's not wrong as well. Number 27 is Angels in the Outfield from 1994. Now this is actually a remake, and it was a part of those 90s baseball movies that starred kids in the major leagues. It stars a very young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, also, there's Christopher Lloyd, Danny Glover, Tony Danza, and there's a guy that named Milton Davis Jr. who plays JP, a child, and he's really good in it. I liked him a lot. I don't know if he ever did anything else. Also, you can spot a young Matthew McConaughey and Adrian Brody. They don't do too much in it, but they're baseball players. The premise is that a boy prays that the angels win the pennant, so literal angels come and help his baseball team win. So it's like a kind of a Christian movie, but it doesn't seem to hammer home too hard on that. It's a fun one. I remember watching it as a kid and really liking it. Sure, it doesn't hold up as much as some of those other ones, but it's worth a watch. Number 26 is The Babe. The Babe is a biopic of Babe Ruth, one of arguably the greatest baseball player of all time. All the baseball fans out there can argue with me about that one, but top five. Like, you have to admit top five for sure. And it stars John Goodman. It starts off from his upbringing in a kind of orphanage to his ascent as the most dominant baseball player of his era. I think the strongest part of it is Goodman's performance because he's such a good actor and yet almost forgotten a lot. He seems really underrated. It's rare that you see John Goodman in something that's not a good movie. Well, wait, I shouldn't say that. There's those Flintstones ones and stuff. But John Goodman is great, and he's good in this. Number 25 is called The Perfect Game. 
This is from 2009 and is based on a true story. It tells the story of a group of boys from Monterey, Mexico, who became the first non-American team to win the Little League World Series. And it deals with like the hardships of poverty, the racism they had to face to do this, and is pretty well done. It's definitely like a feel-good Disney-type story, but the kids are pretty charming and it's a fun story to watch. Number 24 is The Fan from 1996. So this one stars Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes is a baseball player who gets traded to the Dodgers. I think it's the Dodgers. So he was on the Braves and I think he goes to the Dodgers. Either way, he's a all-star baseball player and Robert De Niro is a fan who is obsessed, but obsessed in a creepy Cape Fear type of way. Actually, there's a lot of Cape Fear in this De Niro performance as well. For some reason, I remember watching this movie as a kid and liking it a lot. Probably shouldn't be watching this as a kid, but either way, it had some sort of effect on me. It's directed by Tony Scott, and I think the direction is one of the things that holds it back a lot. It's a little too quick-paced and all over the place. It seems like one of those 90s movies that was too influenced by MTV and they thought they had to keep cutting constantly. But it also reminds me of being a kid and liking Wesley Snipes in movies. I think he had a pretty solid career for a good while. I hope he starts doing more stuff. I really liked seeing him come back in uh, Dolomite is My Name the other year. Number 23 is Pride of the Yankees. This is a movie that tells the story of Lou Gehrig, who is one of the most beloved baseball players of all time, and he really gets the hero treatment in this movie. He's played by Gary Cooper, and we get to see his story starting up very young, as a kid who has to go against the wishes of his family to be a baseball player, but eventually winning them over, winning over the people of New York and people around the world. And Lou Gehrig famously had what was most often called Lou Gehrig's disease, and had to retire because of it. It's not a particularly innovative movie, and it's schmaltzy at times. The ending, the part that so many of us know from all the newsreel footage or from this movie itself, is a real tearjerker. The part where he says, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I think so many sports fans or just movie fans always know that iconic moment. And I think the Gary Cooper performance is almost more famous than Lou Gehrig's actual speech now. It also features actual Babe Ruth. I was watching it and I was like, wow, that guy playing Babe Ruth looks just like him. And I looked it up. It's just Babe Ruth. It's amazing because this movie came out just one year after Lou Gehrig's death, which you don't often see in biopics to have that kind of turnaround on it. I guess we got a little bit of that with those Steve Jobs movies, but I kind of always hated Steve Jobs. Number 22 is Rookie of the Year from 1993. I think this is the best of those pack of 90s movies that had kids in the major leagues. So the premise of this one is there's a kid, he breaks his arm, and somehow the way his arm heals, it allows him to throw 100 mile per hour fastballs. So of course, he goes right to the major leagues. And it's kind of like a funny bit. It's a good kids movie where you have this immature, kind of obnoxious kid playing in the major leagues and all the hijinks that go with that. Daniel Stern's in it for a bit. I think he directed it as well. Gary Busey's in it. Thomas Ian Nicholas is the star. He's the uh, titular rookie of the year. And I think of most of these kids movies, this is probably my favorite one. 
Number 21 is Damn Yankees from 1958. So this is a fun Technicolor baseball musical. It's directed by George Abbott and Stanley Donnan, and is actually a pretty solid musical. Pretty light on the baseball, but I don't hold that against them because it's heavier on the singing and dancing than anything. If you're not familiar with this movie and you go watch it, you'll probably actually recognize some of the songs because it was pretty successful. All right, we are on to our top 20. Thanks so much for getting this far through this list. I I honestly don't know if anyone's going to listen to this, but there's going to be some baseball or film nerd out there that's going to listen to it. Or I was going to say, or someone who likes the podcast, but chances are, if you like the podcast, you're listening for Sam more than me. And I don't really like doing this by myself. It's a little odd. So you'll notice through those first 30 movies, I did have some rules to making this list. I only did English movies. There's some good Japanese and Korean and a few Spanish ones that I'd heard of as well. But I needed to cap this somewhere. I didn't want to do the top 100 baseball movies. I also didn't do any documentaries. There's some really good baseball documentaries, but again, I don't want to do 100. I don't want to have to sit through all of Ken Burns's 75 hours of baseball or whatever that was. So it's pretty much just American movies. There is one that's mostly in Spanish, but it's an American film, but it's so good that I couldn't leave it off the list. But we'll get there later. So we're on to our top 20 now. I'd argue the top 20, all good movies. So let's start with number 20, and that would be Major League 2. We'll talk about Major League later because that's going to be ranked higher. But Major League 2 is able to do something kind of fun. It's a pretty successful sequel, not as good as the first one, but like a lot of these baseball movies, it's going to be about a ragtag bunch of guys that get together and they somehow win. Major League 2 is the aftermath of that. So once you're the ragtag bunch, you're the underdogs and then you win. You're not the underdogs anymore, so you have to kind of find a new identity, and that's what Major League Two is about. You had all these undervalued players, but now they're champions, so they're no longer undervalued, and you kind of see the pitfalls that come with success, and they kind of have to recapture that spirit that led them to victory in the first time. It's a pretty solid movie. Number 19 is... The Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings from 1976. This is a movie I had never heard about until I started finding movies to watch to make this list, and I don't know how I missed it. I think it's been largely forgotten by the mainstream public, but it is definitely worth a watch. So it takes place in the heyday of the Negro Leagues. Of course, for those of you who maybe aren't in North America or don't know about this, Baseball was segregated for a very long time, and black players had a separate league, the Negro Leagues, which of course didn't have the financial success, but had amazing players, and they had a whole different style to them. And this is fictionalized, so it's not an actual team, but they are based on real players. You can tell Bingo Long is based on Satchel Paige, you have a Jackie Robinson stand-in, one guy seems to be based on Gibson. And it follows them through what's called barnstorming. If you're not familiar with that, barnstorming was a term, I think it was popularized by theater troops when they would go put on plays in in barns in rural areas a lot. But Negro League baseball players did this. So they would travel around rural America and just challenge people to baseball games. And then they would have some sort of system where 
you would get a take of ticket sales, or it would depend based on the owner or management or the players. But in this story, these players are kind of sick of their owner taking everything, so they kind of make their own baseball team and they travel around. And it's just a really fun movie. It has a great cast. As Billy D. Williams, Richard Pryor's in it, James Earl Jones as a young man. I had no idea that James Earl Jones was ever young. I just assumed he was an old man always. Stan Shaw is a funny role in this one too. I think he's kind of the Jackie Robinson stand-in. So this is a really good movie to check out if you want to learn a bit about the Negro Leagues. Although fictionalized, it kind of captures a lot of the, the heart and essence of what the Negro Leagues were. I remember as a kid, I was really obsessed with Negro League baseball and how all those things came about. And I really now want a jersey from the bingo long traveling all-stars and motor kings. Number 18 is Bang the Drum Slowly from 1973. This one stars Michael Moriarty and Robert De Niro. They are both major league players. Moriarty plays a very well-respected pitcher. Robert De Niro plays a much less talented catcher. And at the beginning of the movie, we find out that Robert De Niro's character is terminally ill. He's not a particularly well-liked guy. He's depicted as being really dumb, a little obnoxious, but mostly just careless and stupid. And you get to see Robert De Niro playing a idiot from Georgia, which is such a far cry from what we always see him typecast in after this. But in the 70s, he was kind of playing a more wide variety of roles. Michael Moriarty's character is the only one who initially knows that he's ill and he makes it his job to make sure that De Niro's character is treated well for the rest of this year. He makes sure that De Niro's contract is tied to him so he can't be traded, and he just tries to get everyone to be nice to him. And it's kind of like a really sweet story because this team is constantly bickering, they're very talented, and they're not exactly the worst team or anything, but they just tear each other down a lot. They're very critical of one another, and once they all learn what Moriarty is doing for De Niro's character, and that De Niro is ill, they all just start being sweet guys to each other. And there isn't one of those big fallouts when they say like, oh, you're only being nice to me because I'm dying. He kind of knows it, or maybe he's too dumb to even realize that, but it's just a story about trying to be nice to people. It's very small and understated, but a good watch. Number 17 is The Phenom from 2016. With a title like The Phenom, you'd expect this to be the story about one person who is just so much more talented, has the strength of will to carry a team on his back, but that's not what you get in this one. It's actually a really quiet, understated, contemplative movie about a young baseball player who is touted as being very good, but just can't get over kind of a mental block. There's more psychiatry sessions in this movie than there are scenes with actual baseball, so that kind of gets you in the mindset of what it's going to be about. It stars Johnny Simmons as the lead. Uh, Paul Giamatti plays his psychiatrist. Also, there's a really good performance by Ethan Hawke in this one. Ethan Hawke plays a just obnoxious, drunk, terrible father, but not that it's so far that it doesn't seem realistic. His performance is nuanced enough that although he's a very hateable character, 
you also have some sort of sympathy and you feel sorry for this guy as well. So The Phenom may be the best movie made about overcoming the yips. Number 16 is a movie called 42 from 2013. This is another Jackie Robinson biopic, but it is a much better constructed one and a more true-to-life one than the Jackie Robinson story was. It stars Chadwick Boseman as Jackie Robinson, who a lot of us will probably know from Black Panther. Harrison Ford is in it as well. I think it's the best version of the Jackie Robinson story that has been told, but it does still kind of fall into some of those pitfalls of like a TV movie. It's an amazing story and it deserves its due, but most movies about Jackie Robinson either seem somewhat sanitized or they put too fine a point on things. This suffers from the latter. We already know how inspirational, how important a character Jackie Robinson is, how important of a person he was to sports around the world, to United States history. We don't need moments where characters will stop and tell it to the camera. This is a very well-crafted movie, though. It looks very good. It's well-directed, well-acted. But it does get into that realm of over-sentimentality, which you don't need in a story that is so important on its own. Number 15 is Million Dollar Arm from 2014. So this is a Disney movie, and it really gets that Disney feel-good in a lot of points. And not in a bad way, I think it's successful at that. It's a true story, and it's about a baseball agent who goes to India, and he kind of sets up almost like a competition game show type thing, but it's just anyone can come and try out. And the thinking behind it is that they would try to get some cricket players from India and convert them into baseball pitchers. So they do all these tryouts, and it's filmed in India, and we get to see John Hamm, who's the lead doing all of this and he eventually finds two winners and then they have to come back to the United States and train to be baseball pitchers. It's a story both of John Hamm's character trying to salvage his career and of these two Indian players who essentially have the hopes of their entire villages, almost their entire country riding on them and the pressure that they feel and the pressure that they're getting from the American media, and things like that. It's a pretty good movie. It's not going to surprise you in any way. It's not going to reinvent the genre, but it's a real quality, feel-good movie and a really interesting true story as well. Number 14 on my list is The Rookie from 2002. This actually shares a lot with Million Dollar Arm. I think they're both Disney productions, but they both are quality, feel-good sports movies based on true stories. The Rookie stars Dennis Quaid, and he is an older high school baseball coach who, who never really made it to the majors when he was trying to do so as a younger guy, and now has the opportunity to do it again. And this is based on a true story that actually happened, where a 39-year-old baseball coach, high school coach, found himself in the major leagues. Again, it's not going to reinvent the genre, but it's a well-done, feel-good movie about overcoming obstacles and so many of those tropes that we associate with sports movies. Number 13 is 61 Asterisk. A lot of baseball movies just have numbers for the name, I'm realizing now. 
This came out in 2001, and it's directed by Billy Crystal, and it's definitely a labor of love for him. He was a huge Yankees fan and loved this era of baseball, and it shows. It's done with a lot of nostalgia, with a lot of love. It follows Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle in their race to break in their race to break Babe Ruth's single season home run record in the summer of I think it's 1961. And there's some really good baseball photography in this one. There's some shots of them hitting home runs. It the ball is clearly CG, but it was just at the point where the CG is starting to look passable and they have this kind of grand scale to Yankee Stadium. And it's a good-looking movie for a lot of it, but it mostly deals with how baseball players and athletes in general are portrayed in the media, how there's these two players with very different personalities doing the exact same thing, and how one Mickey Mantle is so loved, but so many people just hated Roger Maris, but not for much of a reason. Because if you're an athlete and you're just not interested in interviews and you just want to play baseball, you're seen as somewhat of a villain, especially if you're breaking records that a hero has set. So it deals a lot with the stress of being a professional athlete. It stars Barry Pepper as Roger Maris and Tom Jane as Mickey Mantle. Both give good performances and it's a pretty good movie, especially if you're interested in that era of baseball, which seems like one of the most interesting times in pro-American sports. Number 12 is Field of Dreams. Now, I know a lot of people will find it sacrilegious that I have Field of Dreams not in the top 10 baseball movies, but I was never a huge fan of it. I actually like it much better on this most recent watching than I had in the past. In the past, I always felt that people only liked this movie because it was men who felt like they weren't allowed to cry in movies unless it's about sports and father-son relationships then they're allowed to cry so they'd watch field of dreams and then they can cry and since i as you all know listening to these other podcasts that we've done don't have a problem crying with movies i didn't see the appeal of that end of it but this time watching it it was probably only my second time seeing it I wasn't nearly as critical, and I just kind of appreciated that this is a movie that has ghosts playing baseball, and there's a cornfield that's maybe heaven, maybe it's hell, maybe it's full of ghosts, I don't know, but that's a lot of fun. I love haunted cornfields and baseball diamonds. So it's the second of three Kevin Costner movies we're going to talk about. Also, it has James Earl Jones, who was in another one of them. But Field of Dreams is a pretty solid movie. It took me a long time to admit that, but it's quite good. If you have father issues, it's probably even a better movie, so you can check it out for either resolution of your daddy issues or if you just like ghost baseball players. Number 11 is Off the Black from 2006. I almost didn't include this in the list at all because I don't think there's any baseball after the first five minutes of this movie but it was a surprisingly good movie. I think I would rank it higher than some of these other ones, but I can't rank it higher on a list of baseball movies because it's not a very baseball baseball movie. It stars Trevor Morgan and Nick Nolte, and the premise of this one is there's a high school age baseball player who is angry at an umpire, so he goes and teepees his house. The umpire then catches him and forces him to clean up, and kind of an unlikely friendship forms between them. And I know that's a story that you'll hear a lot 
that two people come together from different generations, different walks of life, and an unlikely friendship forms. But the way this comes about seems so honest and sad in a lot of ways, but still almost hopeful. So Nick Nolte's character is an umpire, and he lives by himself. He's a man living with a lot of regret. But how it unfolds, how we learn about his life, it's done with great subtlety, with great patience, and it paints a really complete picture of a man who lives with regret every day and this feudal rut that he's kind of gotten into lately. Maybe not even lately, in the last decades, really. It's a really quiet but moving and understated picture directed and written by James Ponsolt. All right, now we are into our top 10 baseball movies of all time as judged by me and what I've watched over the last two months. So number 10 is Soul of the Game from 1996. This one might be a little hard to find, so if you can't get it at your local library or whatever, it's actually available for viewing for free on YouTube right now, so it's definitely worth checking out. It's about the last days of segregation in baseball, but it focuses on a few Negro League players specifically, Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson, and a little bit on Jackie Robinson as well. So we get to hear about the Jackie Robinson story a lot, about how he was the best player from the Negro Leagues, and that's why he was chosen to play in, in the White Leagues, what we call the Major Leagues these days, for the Brooklyn Dodgers. But his skill was only one part of why he was chosen. I would argue that Satchel Paige was the greatest Negro League baseball player. I might argue that Satchel Paige might be the greatest pitcher in baseball history, period. Negro League, Major League, Japan, whatever you want. Satchel Paige was a truly remarkable player. So great, in fact, that when he was finally allowed to play in the Major Leagues, the integrated Major Leagues, he was 44 years old and won Rookie of the Year. Think about how many 44-year-olds are even playing pro sports anywhere right now. Josh Gibson, had he played in the integrated Major Leagues, could very well be a home run champion the likes of Babe Ruth, because he was actually the only player to ever hit a home run out of the old Yankee Stadium. Babe Ruth never did that, and Babe Ruth had a lot more chances. Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, those people were never able to hit balls as far as Josh Gibson was. But we don't hear about Josh Gibson because he was a black player playing in the Negro Leagues, but because of his personality, he wasn't allowed to come on over. Josh Gibson had a lot of mental health issues, and if you were going to be the team that was going to bring the first black player into an all-white league, you have to make sure that this player is perfect. They were going to be held to so much of a higher standard than anyone else that they had to look into a lot of things way beyond their skill. I by no means am going to downplay the skill of Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson is one of the best baseball players of all time, any leagues, anywhere. But the reason that he was chosen over some players like Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson is because Jackie Robinson also was an officer in the army. He had worked along white players in the past. He was well-spoken. He had patience. He was able to have the bravery to stand up, not to stand up against racism, but to 
silently take it almost. And that makes it sound like I'm saying Jackie Robinson just didn't stand up for himself, which is not the case. He uh, was court-martialed, actually, for standing up for himself when he was asked to move to the back of a bus. But he was someone that had immense patience. The type of patience Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige, 99.9% of humanity does not have. He was able to take these insults and let his playing speak for him rather than any words of his own, because he knew that what he was doing was bigger than himself. If he was a good example, in a way, that so many other Black players could follow him, and that's how they would be able to achieve things. It kind of is like what I was talking about in a few episodes ago, about the immigrant experience of how you don't want to be outspoken, you don't want to fight racism, you just want to put your head down and do a good job. And a lot of the times, if you're the first one, that's kind of what you have to do. You have to get your foot in the door. And had it been someone like Satchel Paige, who was uh, much more outspoken, he may not have lasted in the league. Not that he couldn't take it, but they just would have thrown him out. He would have quite possibly literally have been lynched because these players did have death threats constantly. There were people attacking them constantly. But the soul of the game gives a brief overview of this time in American history and in sports history. It can't get into anything terribly specifically because it is just a like 100-minute movie or whatever it is, and it's covering such a big topic. But it gives you a good insight into this period of the United States. It has some really good performances. Delroy Lindo, who is just an amazing actor. He plays Satchel Paige, Michael T. Williamson is Josh Gibson, and noted heartthrob Blair Underwood is Jackie Robinson. Number nine is Bull Durham. I know a lot of people have this ranked as their number one baseball movie of all time, but it never quite got there for me. I think maybe I'm watching it too far after the fact and don't have that same nostalgia of watching it when I was younger, but it stars Kevin Costner, Susan Sarandon, and Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins is a lot of fun in this one. He plays a pitcher who nicknames himself, I think, Nuke Lelouch. And he is like your typical oddball character, like a lot of pitchers are portrayed as, or goalies if you're a hockey player. Kevin Costner is your lifelong minor league player who's a veteran is trying to calm him down and Susan Sarandon is a I don't know what you'd call her a baseball fan who chooses one player per year that she's gonna sleep with and mentor and it's an odd movie in a lot of ways it's a surprising movie it doesn't rely on a lot of cliches but it's a lot of fun and gives some good insight into minor league baseball number eight is major league and this is kind of your quintessential underdog story. Well, this and Bad News Bears, probably. But it's about a group of baseball players who are all in the major leagues, but they're all kind of outcasts, discards, people that don't belong anywhere else. You have Charlie Sheen playing Wild Thing, Ricky Vaughn, who has recently been released from prison. You have Tom Berenger playing a kind of washed-up catcher. Corbin Burnson plays a former all-star who is now just a big contract that refuses to put anything on the line for his team. Wesley Snipes plays Willie Mays Hayes, who's a young and up-and-coming player who fancies himself a flashy all-star but just hasn't gotten there yet. There's the voodoo-loving Pedro Serrano. Bob Euchre is their play-by-play man. 
it's not reinventing that genre of underdog teams, but it kind of exemplifies it. It's a lot of fun. And right along with that ragtag underdog story is Bad News Bears, which I put as my number seven best baseball movie of all time, the original from 1976. It's since been remade with Billy Bob Thornton, but I didn't watch that one. This movie stars Walter Matthau. He's a grumpy, drunken coach for a little league team. I always talk about how in the 80s you could have kids in movies who were swearing all the time, smoking, things like that. But in the 70s, you could get away with so much more. You had kids hurling racial epithets getting into fights, being thrown into garbage cans. It's a lot of fun. In a lot of movies like this, you'll have a bunch of outcasts and rebels and they're thrown together and then they learn their lesson and they band together as a team. You do have that in this, but they never stop being just like complete assholes. They never really learn their lessons. They just go on being terrible and that's what makes this one especially fun and memorable. Number six is Eight Men Out from 1988. This is a slightly fictionalized retelling of the Black Sox scandal from 1919. If you're not familiar with that, if you weren't paying close attention to baseball in the 19-teens, this occurred when the Chicago White Sox team got to the World Series and they were found to have thrown the series intentionally because they were bribed. Eight Men Out tells the story not only of the organized crime and, and bookies and gamblers and everything that led to it, but also the players, why they would accept such a bribe, and players who didn't accept the bribe. But still, many of these players were then banished from baseball for all time, including Buck Weaver, who's played by John Cusack, who never took any money, tried his hardest but they still banished him for baseball for the rest of his life. This story leads to one of the greatest mythologies in baseball history, and that's uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson. So Shoeless Joe Jackson was called that just because one day he didn't wear shoes because he had new ones and they were giving him blisters, so he played barefoot. He played with shoes for most of his life, though. But he was regarded as one of the best baseball players of the time. He could hit, throw, catch. He was He was great. And after the Black Sox scandal, he was banished from baseball for the rest of his life. So it's one of the greatest what-if stories of sports. Like, what if Shoeless Joe was able to continue his career? Would he be thought of as one of the greatest players ever? We don't really know. There's also a lot of legends of people thinking they see him in minor league games around the world after this. But nobody really knows what happened to him. Actually, maybe somebody knows. I never really looked into it that much because the legends are so much more fun. Number five is The Natural from 1984. Now, if you think of every sports cliche, The Natural has it. But it's not a movie that was built on cliches out of lazy writing. It's a movie that invented so many of these cliches. If you've seen The Simpsons, you've probably seen it parodied a bunch of times. It's directed by Barry Levinson and stars Robert Redford. Some of the movie takes place when Robert Redford is young, up-and-coming player, but it's still played by older Robert Redford, so it seems a little odd that we're thinking this guy's 20 when it's clearly old Robert Redford. But regardless of that, he has kind of unnatural talents, or maybe natural talents because he's the natural, 
Either way, he's better than everyone. But before he gets a chance to play, he's shot. He doesn't die, but he goes away from the game for decades. And we don't get to see what happens in this time, really. When we pick the story up, it's in the 1930s, and this middle-aged player named Roy Hobbs comes out of nowhere and helps his struggling team get to the top of the standings. And as they describe it, it sounds like a very boring and typical story, and it is in a lot of ways, but not because it's following in the footsteps of so many other movies, but because it's the one that forged this path. And even though it's an innovator of this type of story, it really hits those beats quite well. The ending is as dramatic as you'd want it to be. It creates both like a historic nostalgia for baseball because of the time frame, but also this larger-than-life, almost divine ability of this character really pulls you into the story. So The Natural, I think, is the fifth best baseball movie of all time. Number four is Moneyball from 2011. Now, if The Natural brings up ideas of nostalgia and godlike skills... Moneyball is kind of the exact opposite of that, yet somehow is an amazing movie. It's the opposite of the cliched sports movie because it's taking what seemingly is the most boring stuff in the world and remarkably making it very interesting. Moneyball stars Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and it's a true story of a baseball manager named Billy Bean. Now I'm going to tell you what this movie is about, but if you haven't seen it, you're probably not going to want to from the explanation. It's about a manager who is trying to be successful on a very low budget, so he uses advanced analytics and looks at statistics in a new way to find players who are beneficial to his team at a very low cost. And I don't know how a movie about baseball stats can be this well done and somehow still exciting, but it is. So all credit to director Bennett Miller, who's only done a few movies, but I think all of them were quite good. Like he did Capote and Foxcatcher and Moneyball, but not much else. I'd love to see more movies from this guy. So we're at our last three movies now, so if you've somehow gotten through this whole podcast, I bet there's a few movies that you're screaming out like, how could this not be on here so far? So hopefully they're going to be in the top three. If not, you know what? Let me know. What did I miss out on? So my number three top baseball movie is The Sandlot, the original from 1993. Now, The Sandlot is a great movie because it focuses on the reason why so many of us love sports and sports movies, and that's the relationships we had with the sport as children. So The Sandlot takes place in the summer of 1962, but it's a movie from 93, and there's a new kid in town, Scotty Smalls, and he doesn't have any friends, he doesn't play baseball, but he's taken under the wing of kind of the local all-star baseball player and invited to play with that group of friends. And it's all of those things that one of those childhood summer movies are. It's about the misadventures, it's about the characters he meets, and there's a lot of fun ones. There's Ham Porter, Squints, Yeah Yeah, Tommy and Timmy Timmons, and there's all the childhood misadventures that go along with it. And it's just one of those, not quite a coming-of-age stories, but a 
fun, nostalgic, look-back type movie, and all of these people who are able to bond over their love of baseball. Of course, it gets into some other things, like they think there's a monster that lives on the other side of the fence from the sandlot where they play baseball. We get to see James Earl Jones for, I think, the third time in this list. He's in there as well. Dennis Leary's in it, but he doesn't even ruin the movie. I'm not a big Dennis Leary fan. He seems like kind of a dick to me. But The Sandlot is a lot of fun, and even if you don't love baseball, or if you weren't a kid in the 60s, it just brings back a lot of those fun childhood summer memories. Number two on my list is maybe one that a lot of people haven't seen and I don't see listed on lists of top baseball movies, and that is Sugar from 2008. Sugar is mostly in Spanish, maybe half in English, probably less, and it deals with a baseball player named Miguel Sugar Santos. It's unclear why they call him Sugar. He says it's because he's sweet with the ladies. Other people say that it's because he loves dessert. Either way, it's a name that sticks, and he's a young baseball player in the Dominican Republic. It starts out with the story of him there, trying to get noticed, the poverty that he's dealing with, his relationship with his family and his girlfriend, but eventually he is recruited and to play minor league baseball in the United States. So a lot of the movie has to deal with his time in a small town in Iowa. It focuses on his successes and struggles as a minor league player, his injuries, dabbling with performance-enhancing drugs, trying to figure out this American culture that he's not used to, occasional racism, and all of this is dealt with in a way that's not typical of a lot of sports movies. Although this movie has a lot more baseball than many of the other ones that I spoke about, it feels the least like a baseball movie, because the drama of his life is mirrored by the baseball oftentimes but it's the story of the man that's much more interesting. It's written and directed by the duo of Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. They also did Half Nelson, so just as Half Nelson was to teaching, Sugar is to baseball, being that it's a sad, slow, sometimes introspective, but very thoughtful look at the subject matter. I'm super happy that the two of them found success and then went on to direct Captain Marvel, so they went from something like this, this small baseball movie for HBO films, to directing multi-million dollar budget superhero movies. But Sugar is a truly remarkable movie that really sits with you. I don't want to give away too much of what happens in the movie, because I strongly recommend everyone go out there and see if you can find this and watch it. But what I can say is that it makes us question what success is. If someone had wanted to play baseball their entire life and switches from that and they find some sort of solace and peace, are they successful or do we just see them as a failed baseball player? If someone is working a minimum wage job and feels like they've wasted their opportunity but they're still able to help out their family, is that a victory in some sort of way? Sugar doesn't give us a lot of answers to these things, but it poses the questions and it gives a lot of insight into a world that is kind of the backbone of the Major League Baseball system. 
because players coming from different countries, often from impoverished conditions, to a world that they don't quite understand, and they're often just treated as commodities for these multi-billion dollar leagues. There was one scene in particular that really resonated with me because I've lived in a lot of different countries where when I arrived, I didn't speak the language, and the title character of Sugar is with some of his fellow players, and they go to a diner, and one of them orders French toast. The rest of them not knowing other English words, they all just say French toast. And then every time Sugar goes to a restaurant, all he can say is French toast. One day he gets the bravery to say eggs. Then, of course, the waitress asks, how would you like your eggs? Scrambled, sunny side up, fried. And he just looks so defeated and just says, French toast. I know I've been there for the first two weeks. I only ordered the same thing at restaurants in Korea. And it's a really human moment in this movie, which sometimes is lacking from a lot of sports movies. But that's what sugar is. Even though it's a baseball-heavy movie, it's about a baseball player trying to make it into the big leagues, it's just a really heartfelt story of one man's journey. And that brings me to number one on my list of top 50 baseball movies ever. But before I reveal what number one is, I have a special guest. Look who's decided to join me. It's Samantha Hees, everyone. Oh, hello, everyone. I'm back. She's raising her arms triumphantly. Woohoo! I'm practicing because it's sports, right? Yeah. I don't know what we're watching, but I know it's sports. It's baseball. How are you doing? Good. I'm tired. I worked all day. How are you, Indy? I am the captain of the SS Sleepington. Oh, Sleepington. That's very sleepy. If you don't know Indy's level of tired, that is extreme sleepiness. Yeah. I slept for three hours last night, and then I just talked for two hours about baseball movies to no one. (laughs) I'm going to try to cut it down to one hour for you out there, because two hours of just me talking about baseball by myself. For a pre-episode. For a pre-episode. That's too much. So I think I'm going to chop off as much as I can. Okay. But we're going to talk about number one. Keep in mind right now, I don't know what numbers... 50 through two were so <laughs> do you know any baseball movies angels in the outfield yep that was in there that was i can't remember where but let's say it's around 25 ish joseph gordon levitt was in that one jogo little jogo i call him i don't real little in that one i don't know that i know him anymore well we're not doing angels angels in the outfield okay so for my number one pick i went through and i watched all of these Because I knew that I was going to show Samantha this movie in particular. And I really do think you're going to love it. Oh. I think there's a good chance that you'll really like this movie. I'm excited. It's much lighter than a lot of things I typically choose. I think you'll like the performances. It's funny. It is a baseball movie. But because I knew this was going to be the one I wanted to pick to show you, I haven't rewatched it. Okay. So we'll see after the rewatch if it really is my number one or maybe Sugar, which is my current number two, uh, if that'll beat it. Um, when was the last time you saw this? I guess I should just say what movie it is first. And the movie is? A League of Their Own. Oh, that is another baseball movie that I know of. So I haven't seen this probably. I was on a flight from San Francisco to Tokyo. Oh, that sounds like a long flight. It was. It's not the not the longest, but 
uh, there weren't many things to choose from, so I ended up watching A League of Their Own twice. <laughs> twice in a row? <laughs> Not in a row. I watched something in between, but then I was looking at other things. And I thought, like, oh, I could watch this new David Spade movie, or I could watch A League of Their Own again, so I watched it again. Oh, okay. So I've seen it in the last 10 years. I know it's going to be good. Mm -hmm. I know I really like it. It's definitely a top 10 baseball movie. I think it might be number one still, but we'll see about that. What do you know about A League of Their Own? Um, It has Madonna in it. Yes, it does. Is Bette Midler in it? She is not. Okay. Um, They... Is no crying in baseball. It's true. I'm not sure if everyone out there is aware, but there is no crying in baseball. Okay. There's no crying in baseball. I that was my attempt to do it. I don't know if I it's don't get the context, is. so. <laughs> <laughs> but this time next week, I will understand the context to that. So other people that are in it, Gina Davis is the lead. She plays okay. catcher Dottie Hinson. Gina Davis is... I think when I was like nine through now, it was one of my like celebrity crushes. I always thought Gina Davis was real foxy. Oh. Also, she's in Mensa and is an Olympic level archer. Wow. Yeah, Gina Davis is pretty badass. She's impressive. She really is. Uh, Lori Petty plays her sister, Kit Keller. You may know Lori Petty from Tank Girl. We were watching something recently that she was in. Oh, she was in Orange is the New Black, but she's much older and crazy in that. Mm-hmm. Which, who's she in Orange is the New Black? In later seasons, there's someone who's like struggling with like straight up mental illness. Right. She has like a accent. I think it's New York-ish or Jersey, perhaps. She has almost like a shaved head for through much of it. She's hmm. white. Okay. Madonna plays center fielder May Mordebito. Okay. Rosie O'Donnell is in it. She plays third baseman Doris Murphy. Mm. You have Megan Cavanaugh as second baseman Marla Hooch. Hooch! <laughs> Tracy Reiner, who is Rob Reiner and Penny Marshall's daughter, is oh. in it. You have Anne Cusack, the lesser known Cusack sibling. Oh, I didn't and, realize John had a sibling. Well, Joan. You know, Joan Cusack. Yes. Yeah, because yes. they look very similar. They but I do. always forget about Anne. And she's not not as big. <laughs> and of course, Tom Hanks as Jimmy Dugan. Okay. That's an all-star cast. It really is. This was a very big movie when it came out <laughs> in uh, 92. Okay. It had a big budget. These were big people. It's directed by Penny Marshall, who directed Big and Awakenings and a few other things, but she's a well-known actor as well, of course. Laverne from Laverne and Shirley, but oh, yeah. so many other TV and movie appearances. Wow. Do you know the story of it at all? No. So during World War II, baseball leagues and lots of things were shut down because... All the men were gone? Exactly. So they formed women's baseball leagues. And so this is a true story. Not each character is a specific actual person, but the team existed, the league existed, and they're all mostly based on people. Mm -hmm. Like Tom Hanks's character is kind of based on Jimmy Fox from what it seems like. <laughs> and there are female baseball players that the other players are based on too, but it's not like a straight up biopic or anything okay. like that. But rather than me explaining to you what the plot of it is, let's just take a look at a trailer. I love a trailer. They'll pay you $75 a week. We only make 30 at the dairy. Well then, this would be more, wouldn't it? Once in a lifetime, you get a chance to do something different. Come on, open your mouth. Come on. Evelyn! 
Tom Hanks gets a chance to be the buddy. Good looking and smart. There's so few of us. Gina Davis gets a chance to be the best. <laughs> you say we slip in the back seat. You make a man out of me. What do you say I smack you around for a while? Can't we do both? Madonna gets a chance to be the brave. <sighs> what if my uniform bursts open and, uh, oops, my bosoms come flying out? <laughs> Think there are men in this country who ain't seen your bosoms? This is their chance to show they've got the moves. <laughs> My name's May, and that's more than a name, that's an attitude. The motivation. You crying? No. There's no crying in baseball. And the magic. This used to be Davis, Madonna, they're people you'll never forget. People in America's number one comedy hit, A League of Their Own. Okay, can we watch it now? Right now? That looks like so much fun. Sure, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm free for that. <laughs> I'll make dinner, we'll watch some baseball movies. Awesome. We'll watch, well, really, to get you ready for it we should watch 49 worse ones first i can't i'm busy <laughs> we should watch some freddie prince jr garbage i'm away that day <laughs> well what do you think i think it looks great i think it looks like a movie that i would really enjoy it is it's it's a lot of fun it's nothing that's going to be revolutionary perhaps mm -hmm. but it's does a great job of what good sports movies are right and baseball movies i was talking about earlier have uh often have a great blend of nostalgia to them because right. baseball more than any other sport in the uh, american zeitgeist oh my god i said zeitgeist mm. in According to most North Americans, baseball is one that has more nostalgia associated with it. You don't think yeah. about like old-timey football like you think of old-timey baseball. True. And it has a good blend of that, and there's comedy and heart. It's just, it's a quality sports movie. I think everything that you're saying is true, and I only saw a minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird trailer with yeah. that narrator. Yeah, but I feel like that's just what you do with old-timey sports movies. I just want to read the description on the back of the DVD. I should have started with this. It says, <laughs> Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, and Madonna star in this major league comedy from the team that brought you big. Hanks stars as Jimmy Dugan, a washed up ball player whose big league days are over, hired to coach the All-American Girls Baseball League of 1943. While the male pros are at war, Dugan finds himself drawn back into the game by the heart and heroics of his, quote, all-girl team. I don't know why that would be in quotes. Yeah, no reason for that. No, we know that already. There's no like, We've already tricks that it turns it out. It's actually guys yeah. dressed as girls. That's not a thing. John Lovitz adds scene-stealing cameo as the sarcastic scout who recruits Dottie Hinson. This is Hanson here, but I thought it was Hinson in the movie. Either way, the baseball dolly, in quotes, with a Babe Ruth swing. Teammates Madonna, Lori Petty, and Rosie O'Donnell round out the roster taking the team to the World Series, based on the true story of the pioneering women who blazed the trail for generations of athletes. A League of Their Own is a, quote, home run. <laughs> so that's a terrible description. That was so that very sounds entertaining. like a Tom Hanks movie. And Tom Hanks is definitely a big part of it, but it's a Gina Davis movie right. and a Laurie Petty movie. Oh, okay. It's a sibling rivalry movie at its heart. That's oh. kind of the... 
like a lot of sports movies will have a love story or a father-son relationship, something that drives it forward. This one is these two sisters. Okay. And their dynamic is a little different than we see in a lot of movies, but I think very true to life. And it's just, a, it's a fun movie. And there's people in this movie that I normally really dislike. Oh, really? I don't like Rosie O'Donnell. Okay. I grew up when she had that talk show and I found her very annoying. I don't like that generation of talk shows that it's just someone coming out and like playing games and throwing balls into the crowd. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's entertaining to me. I don't like Madonna. I think she's a bad person. Although in the 80s, she was kind of killing it musically. (laughs) And how big Madonna was at this point is hard to overstate because we're so far removed from it. We kind of forget, Mm -hmm. but she was huge. And she has a small role in this. They put her as the lead, but that's not. Yeah, it made it seem like it stars Madonna. No, she's in it. And she's funny. And she's good in this. She's good when she is at that kind of level. Mm -hmm. But she is bad in a lot of movies. Hmm. Like that one that you thought was Clone Wars. I forget what it was called. It was where she has sex with Willem Dafoe on top of a car. Right. How many more episodes are you going to bring up that I thought a Madonna movie was Clone Wars? Like eight. (laughs) Okay. Anytime we talk about Madonna, Willem Dafoe, Star Wars, or full frontal nudity. (laughs) Because that'll all bring us back to that movie. Okay, so you're never going to stop mentioning it. (laughs) How often do we have movies that have one of those things? How long is it? It's over two hours. And I seem to remember, not quite to the extent of Titanic, but there's a little bit of a framing story that could have been cut down to make Mm. it a little quicker. Okay. So it's, I think, like just over two hours. But it's a fun comedy, so I don't think it'll be the worst. And for all of you out there who are dying to watch a movie with full frontal nudity and Madonna and Willem Dafoe, it's called Body of Evidence, and okay. it's terrible, but you should definitely watch it. But don't yet. Instead, go watch A League of Their Own right now. from 1992. Okay, well, we will see you next week when we talk about A League of Their Own. Play ball! <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>